My son, his name is Robertson Lewis Shelton. Like most humans, he has to pee. But if you ask him, Robertson, do you have to pee? He will say, no, I don't have to. And that results in a lot of times he pees his pants. Um, so on the way to church this morning, I usually drink a lot of coffee and a lot of water before church. And when I get here, I have to go to the bathroom immediately. And I said, uh, Robertson, when we get to church, we're going to the bathroom. That's what we do every week. He said, I don't have to pee. I said, that's the problem. I've heard you say you don't have to pee before, and then you pee your pants. It's a contemporary story, uh, very similar to this older story called The Boy Who Cried Wolf. Y'all familiar with the story? The Robertson Lewis story, the one I just shared with you, is similar to The Boy That Cried Wolf. Um, The enemy of humanity. Y'all know what his name is, the enemy of humanity? The deceiver, Satan. The scripture calls him the father of lies. Notice that it doesn't call him the father of murder. It doesn't call him the father of anger. It doesn't call him the father of jealousy, the father of contempt. He is the father of lies. Jesus here is redoing, restructuring, and rebuilding all of humanity. And what we've gone through so far, we've gone through murder. We've gone through adultery. Last week we covered divorce. And this week, almost oddly, Jesus is talking about oaths, swearing, and he says, as Philip read, do not swear at all. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond yes or no comes from who? So if you remember when you were a, young, a younger one, nobody had to teach you, but if you had a serious statement to make, you crossed your heart and you hoped to die. We then would... Add sticking needles in our eyes. Um, how many of y'all have ever swore on someone who meant a lot to use grave as a child? I swear on my such and such as grave. In court today, I, I went to court not too long ago on behalf of a cousin of mine, and before I got to testify on his behalf, I had to put my hand on a Bible and swear to tell the truth, not just the truth. But the whole truth, not just the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God. Why would a culture need oaths? Because we're liars. If our word could be trusted, we would not need all the legal binding that we have in place. Now, Jesus is addressing something, as we've learned so far in this, this is a pattern, that Jesus is addressing something that actually is going on in this day. So I want you to check out Matthew chapter 23 with me. 
Matthew chapter 23, starting around verse 16. Jesus says, Woe to you, blind guides who say, Whoever swears by the sanctuary is bound by nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of, sanctuary, of the sanctuary is bound by the oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the sanctuary that has made the gold sacred? And you say, whoever swears by the altar is bound by nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on the altar is bound by the oath. How blind you are. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar, swears by it, uh, by it, any, by everything on it. And whoever swears by the sanctuary, swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by the one who is seated upon it. This doesn't make a lot of sense to us because when was the last time you guys swore by the temple or the gold of the temple? We hadn't done that in a while. Um... The Jews in Jesus' day would have been adhering to what they received in their law. Um, it's in Exodus chapter 20. It's in Leviticus. I forget what chapter. And it's in Numbers chapter 30 verse 2, which is the one I'll read to you. It says, When a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do so according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Here's what was going on. So the scripture there says, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge. When a man makes a vow to the Lord, they wound up interpreting that like they would always do. They'd take the law and then just get into the minutia of the law and try to figure out loopholes. And they would say, if we don't say God's name, then we could be a lot more flippant as to whether or not we kept what we said we would do. So they would start swearing by other things. Notice what Jesus points out in Matthew 23. Um, they are swearing by the gold of the sanctuary and not the sanctuary. They're swearing by the altar. Um, they're swearing by, what else is on there? Swearing by the sanctuary. So they're, they're swearing by all these holy things, but they're avoiding the name of God. Now, Disclaimer before I make this next statement I'm about to make. I still don't think it is helpful language to, to take the Lord's name in vain like most of us are uh, used to interpreting that phrase. Y'all know what I mean when I say take the Lord's name in vain. What Scripture is referring to when it says do not take the Lord's name in vain is exactly what we're talking about right here. Do not use... The name of the Lord so that you can gain persuasion over someone or control over someone and then use that control to deceive them. That is what it means to take the name of the Lord in vain. Um, this is Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. So any oath-taking, another way to, to talk about oath-taking is swearing. Um, so we call our cuss words swear words. We've had this whole evolution of a misunderstanding of what it means that Jesus is talking about here. Um, but somebody else can do a study on that. So any swearing in God's name would put an Israelite in jeopardy of taking the name of the Lord in vain. Did you know that one of the Ten Commandments is 
that you should not take the name of the Lord in vain. That's exactly what we're talking about today. How to do that and how obviously not to do that. So as not to infringe on the possibility of taking the Lord's name in vain, the Jewish people instituted what is called kinuyim. K-I-N-U-Y-I-M is how you'd spell it in English. These were substitutionary words for God, and they protected a person from profaning the name. So they would say, rather than, I swear by the name of the Lord, they would say, I swear by the altar in the sanctuary. I swear by the gold of the sanctuary. Okay? This is what was going on. Um, the law said you shall not make a false oath, but you must carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. So they built this loophole like people do because similar to our tax system, why does the IRS have a tax system? This is a joke. The reason the IRS has a tax system is so that the IRS can discover human potentiality for creating loopholes. Because it's what we do, right? And this is what they are doing with the law as well. So they strategize. They said only oaths that include the divine name are binding oaths. If you make a promise that does not include the Lord's name, then you have leeway to fudge on it a little bit. Okay? So Jesus is specifically talking about legally binding oaths here, but he's getting at something else, and clearly that else that he's getting to is a people who actually mean what they say. How many of y'all, this is actually an interesting test because there are people who actually believe what they hear on the news, but I'll ask you this question anyway. How many of y'all, when you watch the news today, that's CNN, that's Fox News, that's MSNBC, that's, um, uh, what's some of these sort of off-brand news ways, Epoch Times, um, how many of y'all, when you read this stuff, almost always take it with like, oh, I don't know about it. I don't even know if that's real. How many of y'all are there? That's where I'm at, okay? I, I get this daily email from, what's it called? The, um, the pour over, which is a pr supposedly unbiased news source. And every time something comes to them, I'm like, oh, I don't know. What happens to a society when words can no longer be trusted? What happens to a relationship when words can no longer be trusted? Before it falls apart, I want to show you what happens. Before it falls apart, this emotion takes over and oppresses, whether it's the culture or the relationship, and this emotion is called anxiety. When you live in a culture of distrust, you live in an atmosphere of anxiety. There's something about the word of someone who is true that creates rest. If I tell Philip, say I am someone who does not lie, and I tell Philip, Philip, this evening at 5.30, I'm coming to your house, and I'm bringing dinner at 5.30. I'm not someone who lies. Philip is getting hungry around 4.30. But Philip is not anxious, wondering, I don't know what we're going to do for food tonight. Philip is actually at rest knowing here in an hour we get to eat. Why? Because he has a word that has created hope because it is a word that's true. What it could have done though, if I had this history of lying to Philip, I say, Philip, I'll be there at 5.30 with dinner. 
But what I do to Philip every time is I actually send him a text because I'm too cowardly to call him or go see him. And I say, Philip, I actually ain't going to be able to make it tonight. Made up excuse, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sorry. So Philip now, who could have rested on the word of a friend who was honest, now not only is experiencing distrust, but is also hungry. This is a little bit of what Jesus is getting, getting to here. Um, from the beginning of time, honesty was the assumption for human interactions. It was assumed that if we said something, it was true. Without that assumption, the only possibility for culture is chaos. Now here's what I like is that early Christianity really took this seriously. So Josephus, who is a Jewish historian, observing a sect of uh, Jews called the Essenes, the E-S-S-E-N-E-S, had this to say. He said, any word of theirs has more force than an oath. They avoid swearing. They regard swearing as worse than perjury. For they say that one who is not believed without an appeal to God stands condemned already. This was Josephus' observation of the Essenes. He said, they avoid swearing, and if, if they actually tell you something, it has more binding power than a legal oath would have. What if that was the description of you? What if that was the description of Christianity? Christians have traditionally understood this passage. So this, we're talking about first century Christians all the way into a few small sects of Christianity. Um, have traditionally interpreted this as Jesus prohibiting oath-taking or any kind of swearing. So early church fathers, Justin, Irenaeus, Tertullian, and Origen all believed that Jesus' teaching literally meant you can never take a legally binding oath. So if they were in court and the judge said, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God, they would say, I refuse to swear because what I say is true. There are still sects of Christianity, some of my friends, actually some of the people you've met who I've brought down here to introduce you to these weirdos, who are Quakers and Anabaptists who will not take oaths today. They refuse to stand in court and bind themselves to something greater than their actual word. So this is the tradition of Quakers and Anabaptists. Um, I listened to a, a talk on ethics this week out of the University of Cambridge, and they were interviewing this Quaker gal, and she was talking about um, how the Quaker's reputation in court, she overheard someone the other day, um, there was a Quaker who showed up to testify in court, and when asked to swear, um, the Quaker said, no, I refuse to swear, and there was some, you can refuse somehow, and I forget the actual word, and she said this guy turned to her and said, okay, finally a witness that will tell the truth. Which I thought, how ironic that um, it is the one who refuses to swear that they're going to tell the truth that has actually gained the reputation that they'll actually tell the truth. However, to push back a little bit against my Anabaptist and Quaker friends who I love, who are more Christian than any Christians I know, if we follow their line of reasoning logistically, it would mean this. Christians could not complete business transactions. 
Christians could not, at least the way I did it, buy a home. Doctors could not take the Hippocratic Oath, which is a vow to preserve life. Couples could not make marriage vows. And I would be in trouble the other day when I met with a lawyer to buy our church land because there was a notary public there, a witness. So if we were to take this legally uh, and legalistically, there's a lot we couldn't do. So our deal this morning is trying to decide how rigid we're going to be here in the next 10 minutes. The, the level of oaths really only exists because people cannot be counted on to speak truthfully under normal circumstances. This is frustrating. Now, I want to point out something to you before we move past this that Jesus does here in Matthew. He makes an allusion, just a little slight phrase that he's going to use again. Um, he says... Verse 36, do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. How many of y'all remember that Jesus made that illusion before about making one hair white or black? Do y'all remember when he did this? Do y'all remember what he was talking about? He did this when he was talking about anxiety. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Um, are you not much more valuable than they? Verse 28, why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, uh, will he not much more clothe you of you little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Um, this... These allusions to extending ourselves beyond what we can actually control, Jesus relates right back to worry, um, which is, we don't use the word worry as much in our culture. We, we prefer the word anxiety because it, you get pills better that way. That was a joke. Um, but you do, all right? So, Something about what Jesus is making a reference to here about making a, a hair white or black is him alluding back to this culture of worry. And what I want us to see this morning is rest, the ability to rest, not sleep, but like actually be at rest, is our body, both physically, mentally, spiritually, our body's manifestation of trust. If we can trust, we can rest. Now, if we are complicit, that means if we are, whether or not we realize it, contributing to this culture of deceit, what we are also contributing to 
is a culture of dis-ease. Dis-ease. Dis-ease meaning the inability to rest. So if I am, through my flippant speech, where I do not keep my word, where I make a statement and don't come through, where my word doesn't mean yes or no, where when I say something, I bail, what I am con contributing to complicitly is a culture, an atmosphere of anxiety, thus dis-ease. How that affects our physical body, I don't know, because this is obviously a very meta subject. However, I have to assume that it is affecting us. Not only is it, is it affecting me on this micro level, but when I make these statements that are untrustworthy statements, I'm contributing to, on the whole, a culture of unrest and disease. Now, here's where I, I really want to get to what I think Jesus is actually saying here. And we've talked about this a lot as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. We keep going back to where we started, which is where Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so each week we've gone back to say, okay, what Jesus is not trying to impose is another legalistically rigid rule. So we can't see it, I mean, you can uh, a little bit, the way our Quakers and Anabaptist friends have seen it. Okay, Jesus says, don't swear, I ain't swearing. Well, what was he getting at, though? Because we talked about this with divorce, we talked about this with adultery, we talked about this with anger. So what is it Jesus is getting at here? In church history, again and again, as we saw, this teaching is reduced to the legalistic, a Christian may swear no oath. But that passes right by the actual intention of Jesus. Jesus' intention is not on the not swearing but on the truthfulness of every word. If our words were true, it would not matter whether or not someone asked us to swear. Because swearing would not have been our subtle way to manipulate. It would have just been the next step in us being who we are, which is people who speak the truth. Now the unfortunate thing, this is where we'll talk for just a minute before we wrap up, is we now have the greatest coward creator in the history of humanity. Do y'all know what that is? The cell phone. Because with the cell phone, I no longer have to be in your presence to share any news with you. Um, I had a friend of mine I was talking to this week who got fired over text message. Fired over text message. It was actually one of my neighbors, and we were, Em and I were talking to her. We said, is this usually how that person communicates? She said, this is the only way this person communicates. For us then, and this is where I want to, we, we have to raise the Christian ethical standard. For us then, we have to be the people who realize if this is easy, it's probably not right. If it's easy for me just to send Phil a text, say, sorry, Phil, we ain't going to make it, um, something, 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 Text, gone, sent, sent. 
if my stomach doesn't rumble a little bit, just with a little bit of nerves when I make that call, I probably ain't doing it right. Better yet, why don't we, the way James would give us advice when he takes his brother's words in the book of James, he said, actually, why don't you stop saying tomorrow we're going to do this and that? Because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. He said, best thing you could do is say, if the Lord wills, we'll do that, and if you don't, we won't. Well, that's a decent approach. I mean, it's in the Bible. But let's think for a minute. Why do we overextend ourselves and then flake out? Why do we do it? Sometimes you have more energy when you say yes, sure. Uh, I'll tell you why, though. We are addicted to the opinions of people. And most of the time when we commit to something, it was because we were in their presence. And most of the time when we cancel, it's because we have our cowardly medium of the cellular phone. Jesus is doing something funny here, and surely he's not talking about cell phones. Surely not. Maybe not. They weren't in the Bible, so surely he wasn't, right? What was he doing? He was saying, this world that I am establishing takes over in the form of seed. Seed. A few times he would actually call the seeds that he's using to take over the world words. A few times he would actually call those seeds words. We would be amazed at how much we would see a culture of disease, a culture of distrust, a culture of unrest. We would be amazed at how much we would see that culture actually be taken over and uprooted by simple words of commitment. By when I say yes, I mean yes. And by when I say no, I mean no. Yesterday, I got home and I was tired. But I told John that we were going to float the river yesterday afternoon. So guess what we did? I texted John and I said, John, I'm tired. He said, I understand, buddy. And we didn't. No, you can't preach this sermon the day before that, right? So I go and we float the river and I'm tired today. But in a week from now when I tell John something, guess what? He could rest in it. And I'll get over being tired today. Here's what I want to end on for us. What is real cannot be threatened. What is real cannot be threatened. Most of the anxiety in our life, not all, because I'm not 
I can't clinically tell you that. Most, a pile of the anxiety in our lives is the result of us propping up a mirage of ourselves and being unwilling to see reality. Because what is real cannot be threatened. What makes us anxious is that one day the wool's going to be pulled back, or the, the, the leaves are going to be raked back, and, and we're going to see, oh shoot, there was never anything there. What Jesus is trying to get at here is us being the people who are willing to slow down long enough to actually mean every word we say. And he goes on to say, anything more than yes or no is from Satan. Think about why, though. Because typically it's deceitful, typically it's selfish, typically it's lazy, typically it's manipulative, typically it's cowardly. Well, who, who did that sound like? That sounded like Satan. For us, trust should be regarded as the most valuable currency. That we, if it took losing sleep, if it took drinking some more coffee, if it took embarrassing ourselves, it is worth you keeping your commitment. Not just now, but for the ripple effect of the relationship with that person, for the, the, the way we complicitly contribute to the atmosphere of our entire culture, it is worth us regarding trust as the highest form of relational currency. So when we say yes, we mean yes. And here's the other thing. We can also say no. So let's swing it over here just one more time and say, most of the time we say yes because we're afraid that no means we lose these people. I'm going to tell you this. If no means that you lost them, you were never going to have them. So when we say yes, let's be bound by our commitment. But let's actually love people enough to say no. Can you come to this? No, I can't. Why? I'm not sure yet. But I will tell you this. For most of you in this room, I know you, you got a lot of demands on you. Your no is from God, and so is your yes. Anything more than either of them is from the evil one. 